morning. Good to see you. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, worship team. If you would, turn to 1 Corinthians 13 again. I want to look at this passage again as we uh, begin this new year. Talking about patient love, I think, is a great way to try to process how we're to do the kinds of things Mark just prayed that God would enable us to do in this uncertain time. Uh, many of you may have heard this story before. I've seen different uh, versions of this story, but it's a story in which um, this man is shopping, and he notices another guy shopping with his little three-year-old son. And the little three-year-old wants some candy, and so he is appealing to his father for that candy in ways that sometimes children can. And um, not being very patient about it as a little three-year-old, but the man is uh, remaining calm, and he says things like, Now, Billy, um, everything's going to be okay. And so as this other man is shopping for his wife, he occasionally runs across his father and his son throughout the store as they do their shopping, crisscrossing paths in various ways. And every time he comes by this father and his son, uh, he hears the child escalating his appeal for candy. And you still see the father saying very calmly, Now, Billy, uh, we'll, we'll be done soon. We'll be done soon. And so this keeps going. And before you know it, by the time they're both at the checkout counter, the little three-year-old is screaming for candy. And the father is still saying, uh, Now, Billy, just stay calm. Everything will be fine. We're going to be done in just a minute. And so the other guy who's shopping for his wife is watching all of this and thinking about it, and he's just amazed that this man is remaining so patient. And so both of them check out, they get out into the parking lot, and the man uh, who's shopping for his wife goes over to the father and the son, and he says, you know what, I'm really impressed by how patient you've been with your son. And uh, the father looks at him and says, oh, do you think he's Billy? No, I'm Billy. The point being, I'm just trying to get through this without going crazy. I'm talking to myself. Well, that's actually what we need to do, but, but just saying things like stay calm, uh, you know, or don't do something you're going to regret, or whatever we might, we might say to ourselves really isn't enough. What we have to say to ourselves is what the truth is. We have to speak the truth to ourselves. Like Martin Lloyd-Jones says, we have to preach the truth to ourselves. So in order to be truly patient, we have to know what that really looks like from God's perspective. And we have to preach to ourselves the truth that helps us to respond in a way that is truly patient. So I'd like to read for us again this love chapter. Uh, because I, as I said, I think it's very, very important as we start this new year and as we think about what's going on in our country to realize that God does call us to love and um, to love under the circumstances in which we find ourselves. So let me read again, beginning in verse 1. It says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. 
And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. This is the word of God. Like I did last Sunday, I'd like to begin with a kind of um, summary of some of the things we need to keep in mind as Christians this year. Now, this is a very busy slide, has a lot of writing on it, which I don't really like. In fact, uh, it's hard to even get it all on the page there. But I just want to take a couple minutes to remind us of some of the basic truths that we believe as Christians. Because these basic truths are meant to feed into how we live out our lives and are meant to help us really love in the ways that God calls us to love. And so the Bible tells us that there is a God and that he created all of us and that he's good and therefore he created all of us to find our happiness in him. The problem is all of us created by God have rebelled against God. And we've worshipped other gods. We've worshipped God replacements, so to speak. And we deserve his just punishment. But God, seeing that we could not save ourselves, could not, could not wipe away our sin and our guilt, mercifully provided an answer. Uh, an answer in his son, Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus came to live the life we could never live. Perfect love, perfect patience. He came to die the death we deserve to die, to bear the wrath that we deserve for our sin, for our impatience. And he rose from the dead, confirming that he is who he said he is, and he did what he said he would do. And as a result of that, he can offer to all of us the forgiveness of our sins, the forgiveness of our impatience and our other sins, and offers us eternal life, which is reconciliation with God and happiness in God fully and forever. Therefore, God calls us to turn from our sin and to trust in Jesus, to entrust ourselves to Jesus, and then to live our lives by trusting and loving, trusting and obeying. Um, the trust we said last week is basically resting in Jesus for the forgiveness we need, the pardon we need, and the perfection that we don't have. And it's also hoping in God for the help we need and the happiness that our hearts long for. The love that he calls us to requires that we submit to his word, that we embrace his word as what, as what love really looks like, 
and that we submit to his will, that whatever circumstances we're in, we submit ourselves to those, and we seek to love in the way he's called us to in the circumstances he's put us in. And so love requires both a submission to his word and to his will. And when it comes to the issue of patience, those things are crucial when we want to really grow in patience. And so that is the gospel. That's the uh, kind of summary of the Christian life. Well, I also wanted to kind of summarize what we started talking about last week, which is patience. We're focusing on one aspect of the love that God calls us to, and we're focusing on patience because 1 Corinthians 13.4 says love is patient. And this is my working definition of patience that we want to try to um, unpack over the next several weeks. And we already started doing that last week, but we can summarize patience in this way. Patience is trusting and loving in the unplanned place, at the unplanned pace, with difficult people and uncomfortable circumstances. Patience isn't simply waiting in line at the grocery store when you really want to get home and watch the football game. Patience is much more than that. Patience is trusting and loving in that grocery line. Uh, Even when it's going at a pace you don't like. Even when you're around difficult people who are making it unpleasant to stand in that line. There's all kinds of things about patience that are not simply waiting, but it's how you wait and what you're doing as you're waiting, and what people are doing to you even as you wait, and how you're responding to what they're doing as you wait. And so um, there's no doubt that it's very, very important for us to think about this in light of the fact that most of us would say 2020 was an unplanned year. None of us could have foreseen what 2020 was like. And the reality is none of us know what 2021 is going to look like either. And it may be very different than what we would like for it to be. Um, You know, sometimes we um, can think, you know, I would be more patient if this person would just stop doing that or if they would start doing this. We oftentimes think that our impatience is somehow linked to what people are doing, that it's somehow justified by what people are doing or not doing. And yet the reality is, the only way you can exercise patience, biblical patience, is if people aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. Or they're um, doing things that they're not supposed to be doing. Because that's biblical patience. It's in the face of things that require long-suffering. The word for patient there is a combination of two words that means long plus suffering or slow to anger those kinds of things Uh, someone has said long suffering is that quality of self-restraint in the face of provocation which does not hastily retaliate or promptly punish it is the opposite of anger and is associated with mercy someone else has said this word patience Um, often is a picture of a a pot of boiling water. And the idea is patience is taking a long time to boil. Or it's it's the picture of having a long fuse before 
you respond in a certain way. Um, another one, another person has defined it as being in it for the long haul. So long suffering means I am in a situation that is difficult, uncomfortable with difficult people. I'm in it for the long haul and I am not simply responding in retaliation and I'm not simply walking away even though I'm in a place of suffering, even though I wish they were different, I wish things were different, but I'm continuing to trust and to love or at least to seek God to help me trust and love in those relationships. Um, Again, last week I asked the question, I wonder why Paul put this at the head of the list of defining love, the kind of love God calls us to. And I think it's because if you shut down, if you harden your heart, And if you walk away, then you've basically said, I'm not going to seek to love this person. I'm just going to cut them off. I'm going to cancel them like we talked about last week. Um, Matthew Henry said, Patience can endure evil and provocation without being filled with resentment or revenge. It will put up with many slights from the person it loves and wait long to see the kindly effects of such patience on him. You ever feel like people slight you, disrespect you, fail to love you in ways that they should or respond to you in ways that they should? Matthew Henry says that's what patience does. It puts up with many slights. And it says it also does what it does, hoping that actually through that patient love, God might work to actually bless that person and change that person. But whether they do or not, whether God does or not, You're still in it for the long haul. And that's why God commands us to be patient, to be patient with people and in circumstances. Next week, Lord willing, we'll talk about being patient in circumstances. This week, we're going to focus on being patient with people. And that patience is a reflection of our patience, or excuse me, the patience that we see in God, that we're to be like God. God calls us to be like him. He's patient with us when we sin against him, all day long and yet he still loves us and is kind to us and blesses us even when we continually disrespect him disregard him ignore him uh, disobey him and injure him you might say he responds so very patiently Um, and then finally patience is long-suffering in the face of difficult and disappointing people and circumstances again there's the scripture that I think uh, Mark referenced in his prayer, we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. And you might could argue that um, all of us could probably fall into one of those three categories. Um, and therefore, we need patience with everyone because they may be unruly, they may be disobedient, in some way, shape, or form, that might be the thing that stands out to us in our relationship with them, or maybe they're faint-hearted, they're despondent, discouraged, and therefore almost immobilized in terms of doing what they should do, and and yet God calls us to be patient with them, or they may be weak in the sense of weakened faith, and maybe even being deceived and led into things they shouldn't be doing, and and... Paul says, be patient, be patient. Don't don't cut them off and walk away. 
because they're unruly. Don't cut them off and walk away because they're faint-hearted. Don't cut them off and walk away because they're weak. Um, The idea is you won't need patience if they're everything you want them to be and if they're not causing you any discomfort (laughs) or they're not challenging you to love, then you don't really need patience. And so um, it's so important that we think about this because the first point I want to make is we should expect to be hurt and offended and disappointed in a fallen world. We should expect that from each other. Even believers, because none of us are perfect. All of us still sin. None of us are uh, like Christ yet, as we should be. I think that's part of what's behind Mark eleven twenty five, when Jesus told us, whenever you stand praying, forgive. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. Which means every time you go to God in prayer, uh, you ought to check to see if there's a need to forgive someone. He goes on to say, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. Why would Jesus say, whenever you stand praying, forgive? And check to see if there's someone you need to forgive. Because we live in a fallen world, and we're offending each other all the time. In, in ways that are truly sinful, and in ways that are just sinful in our own minds. There are real and imaginary injuries. There are real and imaginary sins that people commit against us. There are some times when people sin against us and they really are um, committing a, a sin according to the Bible. There are other times we feel like they're sinning against us, but it's just in our minds. We felt like they've sinned against us, but God wouldn't say that. But still we respond in that way. Jonathan Edwards, in preaching on uh, this um, characteristic in First Corinthians 13 said, if we are not disposed meekly to bear injuries, we are not fitted to live in the world. You, if, if, you're, if you and I are just going to go out there and do unto others as they're doing unto us, then we're not fit to live in the world in the way that God calls us to, is what he's saying. He says, um, we are not fitted to live in the world, for in it we must expect to meet with many injuries from men. He goes on and says, the aspect of the world is too much that of which our Savior spoke. He says, the world is too much like what Jesus pointed to in Matthew 10 when he says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves, that the propensity of sinful man is to attack and devour each other to take advantage of each other, to injure each other. And even among Christians, we're not perfect. Therefore, there's going to be sinful interactions between us on uh, one level or another. And so he says, Therefore, those that have not a spirit with meekness and calmness and long-suffering and composedness of soul to bear injuries in such a world are miserable indeed and are like to be wretched at every step of their way through life. So he's saying that if you want to be happy in this world, truly happy in God, truly happy, it's all about how you respond to other people because they're going to disappoint you, they're going to sin against you, just like you're going to disappoint and sin against others. And how we respond to people's 
evil toward us or sin toward us, their injuries toward us, makes all the difference in the world in terms of our own joy and peace and circumstances. And so the first thing in thinking about life in terms of moving toward being more patient is to realize that it takes difficult people and difficult circumstances to exercise patience. And in a fallen world, we have plenty of opportunity to do just that. The second thing, though, is there's nothing wrong with identifying uh, the difficult things that we find in people. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, Part of what the Bible calls us to is to uh, encourage one another, even reprove one another if necessary. So there's nothing wrong with identifying sin in other people. Or uh, and trying to correct that and, and that sort of thing. Um, but it's how you do that. It's how you respond to the sin that you see in other people, the injuries and the evil that they might do to you. That's why Jesus can say in Matthew 7, verse 1, Do not judge that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, there's a lot that could be said about this, but let me just say, first of all, Jesus isn't saying ignore the speck. You may see something in your brother that needs to be dealt with, And at the end of the passage, he says, yeah, go ahead and deal with that. But before you seek to deal with a sin or something in someone else's life, there's something you need to do. And I believe the connection between the speck or the splinter and the log is that they're made of the same thing. And so part of what the Lord Jesus is saying there is, not only should you identify the weaknesses and failures and sin and, and things that people do to you that are wrong, but also identify with them by saying, okay, how do I do the same thing? How am I treating others the way this person is treating me? How do I look at life like this person is looking at life? How do I respond to other people like this person's responding to me? Identify not only the other person's sin, but identify their sin in me, in you. Why is that so important? It's the place of humility, and God gives grace to the humble. So if I look at that person and I see their sin, I see their injury to me, but I can't see how I'm like them, then I'm in a place of pride. I'm looking down on them, and God doesn't give grace to the proud. God gives grace to the humble. So we humble ourselves by identifying, okay, yes, this person has hurt me, offended me, injured me in some way, But how do I do the same thing? How have I done the same thing in my own life so that God can give me grace as I seek to respond humbly to what's going on? And that means next to determine to love them patiently by laying down our lives. In Colossians 3, Paul says, verse 12, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. It's interesting to me that he says put on patience. Which means that 
there's something I can do and should do to seek to be patient with this person. And it begins by laying down my life. It begins surrendering what I want to do or how I want to respond and basically surrendering to God and saying, God, um, I want to do whatever you want me to do. Um, Hudson Taylor was asked by missionaries coming into China, um, you know, what they needed to know to be successful as missionaries in China. He said, well, there are three things. Number one, patience. Number two, patience. Number three, patience. If you want to be a successful missionary in a hard place where people are not going to respond well to you, and it may go on for years and years and years that you're not going to be accepted, you're going to be rejected, you may be persecuted, they may even try to kill you. So what do you need to do? You need to be patient, patient, patient. Um, John, 1 John 3.16 says, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Patience means I continue laying down my life even when it's hard. Or I lay down my life, you could say, for those that, that are not treating me in the way that I want to be treated. And what does that look like? Second John 1 6 says, and this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. To lay down my life is to seek to do the will of God, not my own will. That's where submitting to God's will comes in and submitting to God's word comes in. One way we can kind of define the big picture of love is to say Christian love is to value someone for God's sake so that you lay down your life for their good in trusting obedience to God's word. So patience means I continue seeking to love this person in the way God has called me to love them, even though they continually offend me, they continually injure me, they continually fail to be everything I want them to be, they continually fail to do what they should do. I continue laying down my life to do the will of God and love them. And loving them means I determine that I'm going to continue to do what is right and wise and good. The Bible tells me what's right. The Bible gives me an indication of what wisdom looks like in different situations. And that's what God calls me to do. In Ephesians 4, it says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. To tolerate someone or to show tolerance means I don't just give up and walk away. To be intolerant means I'm done with you. So to be patient and show tolerance means I'm in there for the long haul. I'm not simply going to walk away. Uh, Romans 2, 4 says, speaking of God's patience with us, do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? God's kindness and his, his patience go together, which means he is patient with us because he can, continues to be kind to us even when we're not responding rightly to him, even when we're sinning against him, even when we are resisting him and running away from him and uh, even blaspheming his name, he continues to be kind. 
Uh, Paul could say in 2 Timothy 4, 2, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with great patience and instruction. Why did Paul tell uh, Timothy to preach the word with great patience? Because don't think that by preaching one su- sermon, uh, you or and everybody else are going to get on board with what was just said. Don't think that one sermon is going to cure everything. Don't, don't think that one interaction with uh, your spouse is going to cure everything. Don't think that one interaction with your child is going to cure everything. Keep speaking the truth in love and don't shut down, harden your heart and walk away. Keep on speaking the truth in love um, with great patience because it's not going to change overnight. It's, it's not likely just to change automatically because I told them <laughs> what the truth was. I told them what the gospel was. I told them what they should have, what they need to do differently. I told them how they're offending me. And Paul says, keep speaking the truth in love with great, great patience. Um, there's so many other things we can talk about. It's interesting when you look at what um, Jonathan Edward has, has to say. And if you want uh, to do some more reading on your own, uh, find uh, Jonathan Edwards' sermon on 1 Corinthians 13 on charity and its fruits. And look at what he has to say about patience. He talks about the fact that patience means I refuse to take revenge. I refuse to retaliate. It means that I'm, I'm going to guard my heart against being bitter against that person. It means that I'm going to fight letting my, my peace before God to be disturbed. I'm going to fight to remain at peace in my soul. And it says, he says, Patience means I'm, I'm not going to uh, automatically try to defend myself. That I'm going to be ready, if necessary, just to overlook things and not even defend myself. If it might be something that would injure that person unnecessarily. Well, he asked the question, why is it called long-suffering? And what he says is, He'll put it this way. I'll put it in his words because he says it very well. He says, um, it's called long-suffering because we ought to meekly bear not only a small injury, but also a good deal of injurious treatment from others. We should persevere and continue in a quiet frame without ceasing still to love our neighbor, not only when he injures us a little, but when he injures us much. And the injuries he does are great. And we should not only thus bear a few injuries, but a great many. And though our neighbor continues his injurious treatment to us for a long time. If you think about what he's saying is, he's saying that love never fails. No matter how many times they've offended us, no matter how great the offense, no matter how long it goes on. God calls me to continue to love them, to continue to respond as he responds to sinners day in and day out. Well, let me apply this as I wrap this up for this morning to uh, one set of people. And for us in this country, one set of people we need to think about are our leaders, which we prayed about this morning. Um, We all know that this week there were writers that stormed the Capitol. 
of our nation and did some damage and and uh, caused a lot of disruption and there were people that died as a result and and it was just a terrible day for us as a country and we might ask the question why did those people storm the capitol building well to one uh, degree or another in one way or another i think you could say it's because they had a they were responding to a real or imaginary injury and some would have been responding to the injury of what they call what they would call a stolen election now that is that is a real thing or it's an imaginary thing but either way they were responding to either a real or an imaginary situation with regard to the idea of a stolen election and maybe other things that may not have been the the only thing that all of those um people had in mind there might have been other reasons other offenses other injuries um feelings of being disenfranchised not having their voice heard feeling like they were losing their country they were being injured by politicians who weren't responding and leading appropriately and therefore they did what they did but hopefully all of us would agree what they did was wrong it was not the right thing to do it was not the right thing to do in response to a real offense or an imagined offense either way it was not the right thing to do in fact it's a great example of the very thing that Paul is saying not to do it's a great example of impatience because we're defining patience in terms of how we respond to offenses and so impatience is retaliating inappropriately to a real or perceived injury and so it's an illustration of impatience it's an illustration of not doing what Paul says and exercising patient love and so regardless of who you might think incited the whole thing or was involved in the the whole thing the response was not right and the question is what is a patient response to authorities that we feel are injuring us and injuring our nation well in 1st Timothy 2 Paul says this he says First of all then I urge that entreaties and prayers petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth for there is one God and one mediator also between God and men the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all the testimony given at the proper time for this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle I am telling the truth I am not lying as a teacher of the gentiles in faith and truth therefore I want the men in every place to pray lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension let me just make a few brief comments in light of the fact that our time is up what do our needers our needers our leaders need from us number 1 they need our prayers we need to be praying for our leaders we need to be praying for them as we would pray for ourselves the bible says that we're to pray our father which art in heaven we're to pray for ourselves and others in light of how we pray for ourselves we're to pray for them and we're to especially pray for our, for their salvation 
we should not be surprised if people who are not reconciled to God and enabled by the Holy Spirit to do what is right, we should not be surprised if they do what is wrong. We should not be surprised if ungodly leaders lead in ungodly ways. Their ungodliness does not justify our ungodliness toward them. We're to be patient. We're to love them. We're to seek to honor them uh, as we should. What they need also is a faithful testimony to the truth. What is the truth? It's the truth that sets us free. They need a faithful gospel testimony. And they need holy lives. That gospel testimony needs to be backed up with lives that aren't filled with wrath and dissension toward them and toward each other. And so they need to be backed up by holy lives of patient love. You can, you can vote for someone to be recalled. You can uh, challenge someone's position on certain issues and still do it in patient love. We're not saying that you just overlook people's sin and do nothing about it when there is a right thing to do about it, but we're to do it with an incredible desire for their good, a readiness to forgive them and show them grace, desire their salvation, show them kindness and respect, and yet still seek to do what is right. Um, There was a pastor and his family in Germany back in the days of the Cold War and before the fall of the Berlin Wall. And uh, he tried to get his eight children into the local university. And every time they were denied by the head of the Ministry of Education, who was the wife of the leader of East Germany at that time, well, things began to change when the wall began coming down and they kicked out the leader and his wife. And the Communist Party there totally disowned them. And this pastor invited that family to live in their home because they had no place to live, even though that they'd been mistreated. They'd been injured by these communist leaders. And yet they showed them love and they refused to retaliate against them by saying, you can't stay with me. I don't want anything to do with you. They responded by inviting them into their home. We are to invite people into our lives that have injured us. We are not to shut them out. And we're to do so that we might show them the love of Christ. There's so much more to say, and we'll, we'll talk about it more next week. But let's pray. Father, I pray that as we wrap up for today, I pray that we would ask ourselves the question, how are we responding to those who injure us in our lives? Are we walking away? Are we retaliating? Are we walking away and retaliating? I pray, Father, that you would grant us grace to love like you love, to show patient love to each other in this church, in our families, in our marriages, with our children, with our parents, uh, in our workplaces, with our bosses, with our employees, with our coworkers, in our neighborhoods and in our nation, with our political leaders. I pray, Father, that in our hearts and in our responses, in our words and our deeds, that we would show your 
patient love. But we confess that we cannot do it on our own. We pray and ask for your help, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.